On the other hand, it was decidedly the most delightful and exhilarating form of humiliation she had ever experienced, and that in spite of a sufficiency of practice in love and rather too much theoretical reading on the subject. How it came about she was never able clearly to remember, but it seems to have happened quite suddenly without gestation or warning. One day Adam Langley was an agreeable but undifferentiated member of an operatic company. The next he shone alone in planetary splendor, amid satellites grown spectral and unreal. Elizabeth felt, in the face of this phenomenon, something of the awe of a cenobite visited by an archangel, and was startled at the hurried refocusing of familiar objects which such an experience involves. Fallings from us, vanishings. She would certainly have resented this gratuitous upsetting of her normal outlook had it not been for the unprecedented sense of peace and happiness which it brought with it. Darling Adam, she murmured that night to a hot and unresponsive pillow. Darling, ugly Adam. A form of endearment which its object would probably have greatly resented had he known of it. There was more to the same effect, but such ecstasies make a poor showing by the time the printer has finished with them, and the reader will either have to take them for granted or imagine them for himself. The epithet was, as a matter of fact, slanderous. Adam Langley was entirely presentable, being thirty-five years of age, with kindly, regular, undistinguished features, thoughtful brown eyes, and a habit of courtesy which served admirably as a defence to his natural shyness. His chief defect lay in a certain vagueness, which amounted sometimes to the appearance of aimlessness. He was truthful, modest, easily startled, and innocent of all but the most venial misdemeanours. And though at one time and another he had been moved to a gentle and, if the truth is to be told, rather clumsy amorousness, women had played no very important part in his peaceful and successful life. It was perhaps for this reason that he remained for so long totally unaware of Elizabeth's feelings for him. He regarded her, at all events in the first instance, simply as a writer who had gained admittance to the rehearsals of Der Rosenkavalier in order to study the operatic background required for an episode in a new novel. But Schön, Karl Volzogen hissed at him during a break in one of the piano rehearsals. If only she could sing, ah, my friend, what an Octavian! And more out of courtesy than because he was impressed by Karl's enthusiasm, which tended, in truth, to be indiscriminate, Adam studied Elizabeth properly for the first time. She was small, he saw, exquisitely slender, with soft brown hair, blue eyes, a slightly snub nose, and eyebrows which were crooked and hence a trifle sardonic. Her voice, she was speaking at this moment to Joan Davis, was low, vivid, and quiet, with a not unattractive huskiness. Her lipstick had been applied with a rare competence, and of this Adam greatly approved, since it seemed to him that the majority of women must perform this operation in front of a distorting mirror, or during an attack of St. Vitus's dance. She was dressed soberly and expensively, though with a little too much masculinity for Adam's taste. And as to character, here Adam became a little bogged. He liked, however, her disciplined vivacity and her poise, the more so as there was no hint of arrogance about it. Subsequently, he was in the habit of attributing their marriage to the independent purposes of Heron Strauss and Hoffmannsthal. 
The chief singing parts in De Rosencavalier are for three sopranos and a bass. Adam, being a tenor, had been fobbed off with the small and uninteresting role of Valzacchi, and this left him at rehearsals more often unoccupied than not. It was inevitable that he and Elizabeth should drift together, and so far, so good. But here an obstacle presented itself, in that it never for one instant occurred to Adam that Elizabeth might wish their relationship to rise above the level of disinterested affability on which it had begun. On this plane he obstinately remained, blind to winsomeness and affection, deaf to hints and innuendos, in a paradisaically innocent condition of sexlessness which exasperated Elizabeth all the more, since it was obviously natural and unconscious. For a time she was baffled. An open declaration of her feelings, she saw, was far more likely to put him on guard than to encourage him, and moreover her own characteristic reserve would invest such a declaration with a perceptible air of incongruity and falsity.